hey, based on our conversation, I put off reading the second half of Dick Fight Island so that you could read it. And maybe this week later on, you and I can just record a special Dick Fight Island's 30 minute thing. Oh, sure. What, what Jeffrey about... Figley, we know you read Dick Fight Island. <laughs> I know I will. <laughs> what, what, what about you, Django? Don't you want to read Dick Fight Island? I didn't. I don't think I have the time. It's to manga. Make my first manga, Dick Fight Island. <laughs> it's, the, yeah. the week that I'm basically done with this project. <laughs> I wasn't even like super. Yeah. Like it's just the way that I brought it up today, Roman. You were like, "Oh, I want to read it." So I was like, "Okay, well, maybe we should do." Yeah, a... since you first told me about it, I've been excited to read it. And not especially on a week where I read like 16 comics. So. So 226, highly suspicious. Roman's giving out fake names. So on that, <laughs> on that note, I'm Alderwood Brick Smasher. I'm London, Ontario. I'm uh, Algernon Smithfield. Now, Algernon, what episode number are we on here? Do you have to ask London or is that something that you um, just know? I think we're on episode, is it 225? Two two six, I believe. Six. Oh, I was one off. Algernon, you have always confused fives and sixes, and that's one of my have. favorite things about you, London. What uh, what important bits and bobs do you have to share with the folks? Well, I mean, two two six is the area code for London, Ontario, my namesake. Oh my um, god! Yeah. Right off the coast of Modesto Beach. Right, right near Modesto. Uh, it's in swimming distance. To, yeah, yeah. There's an associated area code of 519 um uh that that they kind of got mashed together and and one replaced the other and and my favorite part about this is that this is the area code for friend of the show brian garside oh garside Garside on the far side of the country over there yeah yeah wow um this reminds me that a uh, listener of the show, Will Elmer, deep, deep friend of the show. We all just, hey, listen, we love playing the game, but we all know that the rule book hangs out in Will Elmer's pocket. Am I right? And Deep, deep uh, thoughts is, deep, is what we like deep, to call him. Deep thoughts. And he at one point said he was going to be providing me with uh, informational facts about different area codes for each episode. Ooh. Haven't gotten any of those, Wilmer. Will, Will, Wilmer. Well, I hope he goes farther than the first Google search result. Because some people would only go that far. We like to go a lot deeper than that. And I hope that Will can even deepen our our I mean, he's deep, deep thoughts. area codes. Deep, deep I can't wait until thoughts. we've done enough episodes that we can be doing zip codes. Huh. I guess Five I'm digits. confused. Okay, okay. Area codes are different than zip codes. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm an adult. I understand. Welcome to episode 9,800. I... Listen, okay, we got a couple things out of, we got a, oh my God, Rome, Django, that was, I mean, sorry, London, that was insane. Um, 98225, that's the goal. Now, now, Rutger, um, because it was such a huge week, we have decided to do something very special 
um, five minute timers, speed five cast. minute timers. I brought home 16 books and read almost all of them uh, before doing this podcast. It has been quite a comic booky week. So I'm almost going to sound a little bit like Rutger normally does on the podcast in that form of like, oh, I read that earlier in the week. I almost don't really remember what happened. So do bear <laughs> with us. But five minute timer on the books that we're going to be talking about. I want to talk. I'm just going to give you a brief rundown about what's on the main docket. And then it's just going to be Calvin Ball. Rutger is going to toss it to London. He's going to talk it, toss it back to me, Fitzgerald. And we're just going to we're just going to get it right. Can I can I make a suggestion that's going to probably just be a straight up no, understandably, oh, because it's a it's an editing thing. Uh oh. Um, I think it would be hilarious if we didn't hit exactly five minutes if you stretched or constricted that bit of audio that much. I like that idea. I'm going to be using a timer, <laughs> and well, it's yeah. going to go off every five minutes. Uh huh. But you're saying maybe we should push it a little bit further than that each time, or cut it short. Um, Give it the old umbilical rip, as it were. Slow us down or speed us up, depending on what we need. My hands are clammy, and we're nearing that time of year again where I'm going to be complaining about how hot I am in this room. <laughs> You're hot uh, in every room. Yeah, I am. Oh, wait. Sorry, I thought you were Roman. Just Oh, his name is Rutger. <laughs> <laughs> like tears in the rain. <laughs> Rutger Algernon. <laughs> Rutger Algernon. Exactly. <laughs> All right, London Fastbender. What I want you to know is that the first book that we're going to be talking about is Rorschach, number eight. It's a big one, everybody. In terms of this podcast, ahead. like it's a big one. It's been a long <laughs> couple of weeks. Got a couple tired boys in the house, and Rutger is down there, shirt off, ice cream in his beard, uh, looking adorable. Actually, I. Rutger and I had uh, ice cream in the park with our good friend Ryan, uh, not, not more than an hour and a half before recording this podcast. Yeah, you guys, you guys played football. We did play football. the European football. Mm. European football. In Europe, football is played by kicking a ball instead of throwing it. <laughs> um, we're also going to talk about Heroes Reborn, number two. We're going to talk about Time Before Time, number one, sequel to The Land Before Time, one of my favorite childhood movies. limited to five minutes of time. Limited to five minutes of before time. We're going to talk a little bit about Batman the Detective, number two. We're going to continue on this DC train, talk about Future State Gotham, number one, which had something so exciting in it that when I realized it, I had to drop everything I was doing and run upstairs and tell Django and then call Justin and tell him and not stop talking about it. We're and also going to talk straight from the horse's mouth. Order it from the mouth. Order. Order from the mouth. Order. Uh, Justice League Last Ride, number one. And we're going to talk about Holler, number three. And then we're going to talk about some other things. But do we know what they are yet? No. You got to either look at the show notes or just come along on this <clears throat> wonderful spoiler-filled journey because spoilers are part of the water. The water. The water. Do you guys have anything really, really good before we get into Rorschach? Well, Frank Gerald, I am excited mm. to see the new Saw movie Ugh, with Chris I, Rock. Are you going to see that soon? I don't know. It's only in theaters. I probably won't. But I'm going to pretend that I'm going to go see a movie in a theater any day now. Just yeah, yeah. going to lift my spirits. Um, I've been curious to see if I can get that movie theater butter mm. out of my mask when I, when I eat <laughs> from my mask like I'm a horse. I watched a documentary called Rewind This that is about the sort of rise of VHS 
culture and then the mm-hmm. decline of it and then the sort of continued presence of VHS within a culture that doesn't really require it. It was right. fucking fast. You know who I watched that with? Sean Marshall. That guy nice. knows a thing or two about everything. Cool. But wow, it was so much fun to learn about the history of VHS and home video, really. And then the kind of... You guys have any idea how many movies we're never going to get to see because they're only available on VHS? It's more than 10. Yeah. Well, I haven't encountered 12, right. many that I'm bummed about, but definitely a few. You know who has? Sean can yeah. give you a long list. Thank God he got those three seasons of the animated All Dogs Go to Heaven cartoon show. Because um, they finally got that out on DVD. They still haven't released the final season of Rugrats on DVD. They're about to, though. It's cool, everyone. They haven't done it on Pirates of Blackwater, right? Dang. It's hot in this room. I'm cranking the window open. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Shunk Factory, guys. Roman, so good to see you. Django, so good to see you. Tom King, Jorge Fornes, timer starting now. Oh gosh. This is my favorite book of the week. This was an amazing book. It it felt like the Neapolitan issue of Ice Cream Man a little bit. It's told in three layers of stories with the detective interviewing three different people about their interactions with uh, the old man Rorschach. And it's also a little bit of um, who are the, the seven old blind men who encounter an elephant? You know that fable? No, but I've heard about it from you a lot. Yeah, like one guy says, oh, it it feels like a snake because of the tail. And the other guy says, oh, it feels like another thing because of the knees. Um, I really liked having those different perspectives in here. Yeah, it's got kind of a Pulp Fiction vibe. I think in, in this series, which has had me do a lot of flipping from the beginning to the end of issues as I'm reading it, kind of constantly mm-hmm. going back, this is one that did that almost more than any you know, like kind of cracking into the red person's room when they get to this house, but wait, the person that answers the door is the third narrator in the blue hat. Like kind of just, again, like you said, multiple camera angles on a singular event. And that event isn't even like super clearly illustrated as like what happened throughout this book. But I mean, obviously the murder, but you know, we know that Myers, our guy, Rorschach guy is can enlisting people to be his aide and this is a cop interviewing somebody who frank miller had sent payments to on behalf of myers and and they were involved in a a kind of waco-esque like cultish-esque building of a house in the middle of of nowhere but the story was really really i think well done and tight and like you know twinton tarantino-y multiple angles on stuff but I, what i really was the most impressed was i think was the the paneling Roman, what were your thoughts on all of this book Fitch yeah the, pan, the paneling uh um it was a very impressive book i mean I, at first i was thinking am i gonna read this the way it's intended or am i gonna read like all the top portions first and but i read it the way it was intended and i'm glad i did well i think um, that's an interesting question roman because i kind of spent the first half of the book trying to decide like am I supposed to read this as everything being like a double page spread and the, the narration going, or is it one singular page at a time? And at first I was like, Oh, it's supposed to be double page spreads. And then I was like, no, it's supposed to be single page. And then I was mm-hmm. like, no, it, I think at the point is that it can be done in any order. And then I was like, no, based on some dialogue flow, actually, yeah. I think it does have to be page at a time, but it was interesting having to like kind of solve that problem. Yeah, yeah, I think the dialogue, I mean, especially I felt like you had to know that follow that sequence. So you always ended with um, what's his name, the handyman guy, mm-hmm. 
the the everyday Joe kind of guy. Um, Tom King look alike. Mm-hmm. Oh, does he look like him? I didn't, I didn't he know that. Pretty close to him, yeah. I was surprised. I didn't expect our detective to be such a violent dude. I mean, he totally goes bad cop on each of these guys. And I was, I, I was surprised. I was just like, why is he so angry? And what, and why is he beating on these guys? Cause they don't seem to be, I didn't think any of them were lying. They just were, you know, not, they thought, well, this is a little wonky, each of their parts in it in at that ranch, but none of them like put the pieces together to think, Oh, this guy's building an assassination practice range. <laughs> their faces in that one page kind of indicate that they do know more. Yeah, yeah. Until that last page, which okay. also really surprised me because I was like, wait, what? They yeah, were all and, in on it? <laughs> and he says something during a break talking to somebody else. He's like, these these people are not telling the truth. Like they're right. They're full of shit. Yeah. I the, that was really cool. Yeah, the detective says that. And I was also like, how does he know that? I can't tell. Smart feller. The, the well, thing I re- really yeah. want to know is I really kind of wish I just was a fly in the wall, could hear the conversation between like Tom King and Frank Miller mm-hmm. about using Frank as a character, a nut and all character in this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Django and I listened to another podcast, I fanboy, but what they were referencing is that Tom King actually has told the story that that seance in the previous issue that Frank Miller went to is a thing, an event that really happened. And that's a story that Frank Miller had told Tom King that he was at, um, which yeah. is a really interesting way that he incorporated into the story. But yeah. yeah, I think that just what you were saying, Rowan, about are these people telling the truth or not telling the truth? I think that it makes this book kind of be framed around this question of like, is the identity of Rorschach and that paranoia, does that possess people? And are we watching our detective kind of become the next Rorschach throughout investigating this? Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting that the Rorschach masks don't, seem to change okay that was our five minutes but listen i'll figure out how to start doing that better and we don't have to the, the rorschach <laughs> masks don't change yeah like meyerson's mask doesn't change like rorschach's oh mask. good point so they're just using cloth that's interesting yeah. yeah 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 they don't have that special layered lava lamp yeah. material or whatever that it hadn't, is that hadn't yeah. occurred to me and, and i couldn't help but thinking in the same way that i do with like the original watchman like how much this paneling is sort of supposed to be kind of a rorschach in and of itself like the mm-hmm. changing of what panels are blank panels and stuff it's just crazy yeah. that tom king like between this and like mr miracle is such a graphic designer mm-hmm. as well as a writer who uses yeah 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 i really enjoyed the way those panels led me around yeah and I would give a special shout out to the Watchmen, the original Watchmen homage of Frank Miller getting unmasked. Mm, yeah. That's like face. panels of Rorschach getting unmasked and uh, the Tom King looking character, Daniel, wearing a pale horse shirt. Pale yeah. horse is the band that was playing Madison Square Garden when oh. the squid arrived. Which is the fake band wow. <laughs> that one of the three Watchmen soundtracks that Trent Reznor released is the mm-hmm. band for. So one of them yeah. is the Watchmen soundtrack by Pale Horse. Um, cool. All right. Well, that was a little over five minutes, but we're, we're going to sound get, like chipmunks. We're going to be better. We're going to be better. We'll do better. <laughs> um, scores on that one, boys. Django, I'm going to do the old. I'm going to do the old gut check that you did last time that I didn't because I did no desis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to do the gut check method, and this one a nine. And nine. I want to classify. It felt more like work than a really enjoyable comic has felt in a long time. Like it was so good 
Right. But every page was like more information and more understanding that I felt like I needed to do than most comics that are just fun do. That's that. I think that's totally fair. Um, I'm this this week. I'm going to rank my comics based on my opinion of the raw craft. Mm. I'm going to give this one a ten. Nice. There's I some think, craft in there. I think this is this is one of the best crafted comics around, Franklin. Yeah. The cover is so good too. Once you read the issue, yeah, Romeo. Yeah. I mean, um, Rutger, <laughs> um, the Hitcher. Uh, what cover do you guys have? The one with the sign that has it says three way. <laughs> oh, cool. I've, I've got the other one. Oh, that one doesn't quite have the cool tri narrative overtone. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm gonna gooey it. It was my favorite <gasps> book this week. Gooey Badoosh. I think yeah. also my favorite as well. So I think yeah. all, it sounds like maybe all three of us are putting that as the favorite book. Yeah, I mean, a lot of good books this week, but this was my top for the reasons Django said. I love it, you guys. I'm going to start the next one. Uh, Heroes Reborn number two, Jason Aaron, Dale Keown. Didn't even realize that this wow. wasn't Ed McGinnis. Wow. Until just reading that. I didn't realize it was I, Dale Keown. I, yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> wow. I thought this was a pretty great issue. If we're talking a large Marvel weekly series, it was bold to make most of the second issue just be that kind of Astro City-esque dream of flying like mm -hmm. story from the Hyperion's perspective. And it yeah. humanized him and isolated him. Uh, and then I actually liked the final several page thing as well with Captain America running around. But mostly it's just this sort of issue spent with Hyperion. What did you all think? I thought it was great. I thought the second page with Hyperion flying through Galactus's head brain. Oh, yeah. God, that was cool. That was, that so was like weird. one of the second things that I read this week. And I got to that page. It's like, this is a good week of comics. Yeah, that was a, that was a shocker, especially because yeah. because I was I, I was thinking, wait, but didn't there was a Silver Surfer Superman John Byrne one shot once. And I thought Superman like couldn't basically couldn't do anything Galactus. So I was like, geez, so Hyperion stronger than Superman. <laughs> I yeah. love those uh, Mission Impossible 2 doves flying, you know, like uh... John Woo. Yeah. <laughs> John Woo camera angle. <laughs> Wait, these are just pigeons. <laughs> Cut rate John Woo. Um, yeah, the violence in this was great. The the eye beams through the Hulk. Yep. Super gross and kind of reminiscent of the Marjorie Finnegan book from last week. Um. I, I enjoyed it. I will admit that at the end, I thought that that was Thor, not Cap. Mm. I, I don't know. I must have just forgotten Both the last issue Both ended with bearded. Cap getting uncovered. I I think it was a I think it was a very smart move on their part to invest one and almost entire issue to humanizing one of the villains. I think that was yeah. like a really important thing to do for this weekly series to be. You know, I loved hearing Roman talk about Squadron Supreme last time, but I still think I needed to kind of spend some time with this person and find out what's good about them and what's bad about them to really care about them as a negative force. So, yeah. I, and then the, the Hulk reveal in it was really good, too. Yeah. 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 I really enjoyed that, too. The humanizing it because it's it's too easy to just have Hyperion to be an asshole Superman and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. We get those often, you know? Mm hmm. Give us an Astro City hole, Superman. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like what you did. 
We got yeah. Anyway, I did, they're continuing to do cool stuff with bifurcating the linear timeline mm-hmm. that we have spent time with. Okay, Professor Figley. I was trying to quote Justin. <laughs> Bi- bifurcating. <laughs> bifurcating is a Justin word. <laughs> he just crumples up Ultron, you guys. Yeah. I yeah. almost feel like I enjoyed this Dale Keown art more than the McGinnis stuff. It's wild because when I think Dale Keown, I think Pitt. Yeah. And this does not look like Pitt. Okay. Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's, is Scott Hanna inking it? Whatever. I, it's, it's good no matter what. Yeah. I like it more than I, <clears throat> than previous Dale Keown art. I'm a little bummed that the series is weekly because mm-hmm. I think that's going to hurt store's ability to carry enough of it and people's ability to catch on to it. Um, but it also from looking at the checklist in the back, it looks like a pretty tight run. That's you good know? when you're comparing it to like the bounty hunter stuff. Yeah. We're like a, almost a quarter of the way through already, which is pretty sweet for a, a big event. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, your point is totally correct. A weekly series are just like setting stores up for failure because stores have to order five issues by the time they can sold a single one. So they don't know how many people want it. And really all that it means is like either you're a fool and you're ordering a ton. And if you do that always, you'll go broke or around issue three or four, if it's good, you're not going to have enough for people. Yeah. So it is a real dangerous, I, I actually, we're, we're sitting, I think in an okay spot right now with our numbers, like we didn't order a ton for the shelf and then some people kicked it back and we're still rocking I guess for number three, we should probably all agree to talk shit on it so that we don't sell too many of them. Yeah, that's a good point. We don't want to run out and make our store look bad. Let's just say we hate it all instead. <laughs> Comics, dumb. Squadron so three, about... more like squadrons suck. Oh, Rudolph <laughs> down there just spitting cyanide into our mouths. Dang. How are you immune to <laughs> it? Um, well, yeah, Heroes Born 2. Nice work, everybody. Really tight on the five. Oh, really tight, tight on the five. five. A tight five. Really tight five. Really tight five. Um, what, would, what would you give it, Faraday? Good question. I would give it, in terms of the amount of enjoyment that I had while reading it at the time, I'm going to go, I'm going to go eight, mm-hmm. which is, you know, yeah. I'm not even talking about the craft, fun. just my joy. Yeah, that's a dang good comic. I liked you. I think I would give the craft probably an eight also like took, took a bunch of characters I'm pretty ambivalent about and uh, gave me a fun way to read them. For the joy. Yes. I would give it a nine and a half. He's Ooh. just consistent. He's like, he's like a rock. Yeah. Or a rock. Oh wait, that's not a rock. That's a cephalopod. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fucking shell housing, a mollusk. That's a <laughs> that is a gooey gooey duck right there. That G-D-D. mallard's covered in goo. <laughs> I'm always gonna love a story that like showcases why Captain America is the best. <laughs> Weird. Is that what this issue did? It's what the series is gonna do. Yeah, he's the linchpin of the Marvel universe. He's the best at wearing a hoodie. He is very good at wearing a hoodie. Yep. Except for Blade's pretty good at it in this as well. He is. He is. Captain Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Hoodrow Wilson. Ooh, Ah. I love that, actually, Django. (laughs) I really like that. Wow. Sorry, Roman, I stepped on your gag. No, yours yours was a better gag. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh god i love you both wow this is really hitting its pace i'm really enjoying what we've done here i thank you both for rutger and howard for changing the tone of this whole thing kind of putting us back on track let's talk about time before time interesting that it's written by declan Shalvey and not drawn by him right i didn't read this one he he oh. did, and oh. and he does. He is somebody who has written a fair amount at this point. But I think he's usually drawn the things that I, he's written, right? Not always, but yeah, he's okay. definitely a writer. Sorry, an artist before a writer, and I really like his art. Um, so I I get excited to see his writing. I missed the boat on this one. I didn't take this home, and I listened to some other people talk about it today, and it sounds like a, like a really really well done sci-fi. Yeah, it's it's really good. It, it kind of reminded me. I don't know if you've seen it, Roman, of uh, Looper. Um, with... Was that the one with uh, uh, oh man, what's his name from Thirty Rock? Yeah, and JGL and uh, and John McClane, Bruce yeah. Willis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just like some people who travel through time to deliver people on the run, and the machines that they travel through time in are are pretty dangerous, and these these buddies are trying to get out of the the game. And one of them gets waylaid in the future and comes back an old, 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 old man the day after he and his friend decide to <laughs> to escape this lifestyle. I thought yeah. that was really cool. Yeah, to do their own kind of heist. Yeah. Caper. Yeah, that was a good twist. Because um, at first I, I thought the same thing, that this is going to be, you know, it's pretty much like Looper. Mm -hmm. And it's not. That twist with his buddy coming back and, you know, like 30-some years have been passed for him. Yeah. Why, why only like 24 hours maybe has passed for his buddy. Yeah. That was a great twist. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the art? I liked it in the back matter. Um, what's his name? Declan Chavley. He, he uh -huh. talks about how he's, he didn't have time to draw this project and that's why he, okay. he got this guy and, and I liked it. Um, it's Joe Connor. Oh, I thought it was McConville. Rory Wait. McConville was the other writer. Oh, the other Joe writer. Palmer Joe Palmer drew it and Chris O'Halloran colored it. It reminded me, there, there were panels that looked a lot like good Mignola. Mm -hmm. um, and there were there were a couple of panels, yeah. or, or I guess the, the bulk of the rest of it kind of reminded me of Mr. X, the, the old Dean Motter story. Yeah. And I don't know if he drew a lot of that. Um, but it looks like the original Mr. X series to me, like not, not super high end, but still really good. Yeah. There's some real subtle, um, <clears throat> there's a page when, uh, our two main characters, I forgot their names, but when I think it's first... Declan and Shalvey, <laughs> when they're first discussing their, their plan to kind of do this heist, to escape this life. And they're talking about it basically for a year. Um, and on that page, there's four large panels as, as they're walking down the street in different the streets in different uh, seasons. And there's a real subtle fisheye lens mm -hmm. perspective looking at them. And and I didn't even notice it when I was actually read it the first time today. Yeah, but it's real nice. And I really like the way they uh, they the artist drew in the year every time the year changed either naturally or because they were traveling big crazy headline years. yeah 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 man i i thought this is a, a really good comic i'm excited to read more um and i yeah it's it's just great it, it's 
a sci-fi story with like noir art noir art if you will yeah yeah i noirded and i like the fact it's a sci-fi time travel story and their time travel box it's not sleek or cool or goofy looking it's just this big clunky ugly brown box or safe <laughs> yeah or safe <laughs> yeah yeah i thought i thought that was pretty awesome uh well roman if you had to give it uh some number between one and the end of time one being the beginning of time travel oh my gosh um oh it gets at least an eight and a half at least I'm I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna say at least an eight and a half, at least. Ooh. Are we playing Quiet Chicken now? Oh, sorry. I was I was looking at this one panel, going, "Ooh, look at that." There's there's three <laughs> of us who can play Quiet Chicken. I wasn't trying to play Quiet Chicken. I just I we all fun. know we all know who talks too much on this podcast, and it's this fucking guy. So you know, oh. let you wrap oh. it up. I'm going to try to play Quiet Chicken. Look at that. Look at that. Disgust, scored, and, and did a bit. Good Lord. Did a Quiet Chicken so bit. Good. I love that quiet, funky chicken of yours. Roman. Okay, I'm going to start the timer for Batman the Detective number two, Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert. Not Andy Kubert. It's the other Kubert. A Kubert. Not, not, not old man Kubert. <laughs> not old old man kubert this one you know we almost were like do we not talk about it because is it cracking any nut guts open no it's not crack cracking any nut guts open <laughs> jenga you remember nut guts i don't that was your big bit from last week was your nut, nut guts. guts yeah it was all like coming it. from your nut your gut nuts man i should um, listen to this podcast Last week's was good. I got to might lock things in. Was good, Um, but yeah, you were big on the (laughs) nut guts last week. Um, But so, just in kind of broad strokes, what I wanted to mention about this one specifically is that the art is awesome. It's the most I've ever enjoyed Andy Kubert's art, and just down from the first page, this like Mm -hmm. gorgeous shot of a clock tower, and the shadows are drawn perfectly on it, like. It's just mostly in shadow, but it's perfectly drawn. And that I was just stared at that for longer than I would normally give a single page image. And then on page three, that first panel, the perspective shot of the rope breaking and the person falling beyond it is like Jack Kirby level foreshortening yeah. stuff. It's it's really incredible perspective on a it just it kind of blew my mind when looking at it and that that was like we've got to talk about the art in this at least and bruce has one of the coolest batmobiles it's it's got three wheels on each side tank treads in the back and uh he drives on the on the right because he's in england we should do a 35 40 minute podcast where we each rank our top five batmobiles and go around from the bottom (laughs) of the top nice because you saying that makes me think you and I would have some differences. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. And I, I just like that. the fact that revelation that 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 she that uh, this was a squire, the new squire that she points out that what you already had a car like built for the UK. And he's like, oh, yeah, I have a I have a car in every major city in the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love the scene where like he like these white Batman who are the anti Batman, the antibodies of Batman's effect in reality, basically. And uh, they look so anti- cool. Anti-venom? They look, 
they look they look like anti venom. Yeah, they do. But they're uh, the the antibodies. Uh, you know, like the the thing combating Batman's ability to have any effect in reality. But when they're interviewing this, or they've kidnapped somebody that was around Batman. And they're like, did you check him? And he's like, yeah, there's nothing on him. And then like, he's like, do you have anything like tracking you? He's like, no. And then she looks at him with x-ray vision and there's like a bat on his like heart underneath his skin. And it's just so like, Batman, when did you do that? Yeah. He's such a butthead. This is a great Batman story that as of yet is not revolutionizing anything. It's not like reinventing a wheel. It's not like... You know, if I'm looking at Grant Morrison's Batman, I'm like, well, it did this in this unique way. Like this, as of yet, isn't doing anything brand new, but it's it's just like, why are there ever Batman comics not as good as this? Like they yeah. should just all be, this is just really good. Yeah, yeah. And I really like that they uh, kind of brought in Night and Squire basically from the Bat- the Morrison run. They, they brought in um, Henri Ducard, who I think first appeared in the first christopher nolan batman movie is that right no he was he was a character from a long 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 time ago nolan messed with his origin and i think they kind of retconned some of it okay but i really like him in this book yeah the sixth panel shot of him fighting the people when they come in sorry jingo dude the the shot of bruce sitting on the train sucking on a lollipop this is one of two comics that has the lollipop when batman but he's just sucking on a lollipop and when the door gets knocked on and he takes it out to talk like the body language there, it's, it's just his head in his hands and it's a perfect <laughs> shot. And I, I love, love the how idea of him doing that. I love how like sitting there reading on his iPad with a glass of wine next to him, he looks like if he reached out and like punched you in the shoulder, you would hear an amazing thump sound effect and go right through the window. Like he just looks <laughs> He looks like the sound effect from a Jason Statham punch movie. I love it that just sort of the the climax of this issue, which is the the anti Batman's fighting Batman, and Ducard has been shot and he's falling, and Batman can either go after the anti bats or save Ducard, and he jumps down to save him, and the girl in charge of everything he just says he always fucking saves them, and that's <laughs> yeah. the end of the issue. I just love that like conflict. Yeah. You know, I, I love that being this thing. We hate, like, you're so fucking predictable. You always do this. You can't make, anyway. It's And the misdirect on the balcony before that. Like, when when she shows up and you think that it's Batman hanging out with Ducard oh, for a right, second. Right. And it yeah, turns yeah. out that it's the, the anti-bats. That, really good. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to give this one a nine. I just think it's, I just enjoy, I just like basically any Tom Taylor book at this point. It mm-hmm. has, one of the highest floors of any comic book that can come out. I couldn't recommend anyone checking this out enough. If you're on the fence about Batman, if you don't know where to start, this is a really good Elseworlds Batman story. I would say without one factor, I would give this a nine. But Batman in this has a collar, like a high Gotham by Gaslight collar, so Mm -hmm. it gets a 10. Like Mm -hmm. that creative decision, right up to a 10 for me. I love every shot of Batman with that collar. I like that. Wow. I'll do an eight. Nice. 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 I just love like when you draw Batman and you draw Bruce Wayne, sometimes Batman is Bruce Wayne in a costume. And sometimes Bruce Wayne is Batman without a costume. And this is the brute Batman minus his costume. I I just love the way he looks out of it in this. 
Yeah, I really like the ambiguous time frame of this book mm-hmm. at this point. Like, he's older. We don't know how old he is. He drinks wine. He drinks wine and eats lollipops. Yeah. Um, continuing that gothic train that we were just on, <laughs> that lollipop giving, oh, you know. Um, lollipop them by gaslight. Lollipop them. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Rutger and John Thomas, did either of you read Future State Gotham number one by Joshua Williamson and Gianni Milo. Oh, wait, sorry. Gianni Milogiannis wrote and drew the first story, if I'm not mistaken. No, written by Josh Williamson and Dennis Culver, art by Gianni. I thought he wrote it as well. Dang, that's kind of weird. Weird because I kind of thought that this was taking a sort of manga approach and having the writer and artist be doing kind of both duties, which is very common in manga. And I thought that because the backup for this story is written and drawn by Katsuhiro Otomo, who did Akira, one of my favorite stories of all time. One of the like, in the last 40 years, I think one of the most visually important parts of comics medium. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I was super, super pumped to see him in here, which is what made me run up to Django and call Justin and, and then they also put the Mobius one shot of Batman, like the, the single picture of him yeah. from an early Batman mm-hmm. black and white issue. Um, so between Mobius and Katsuhiro Otomo, that's just like two crazy things. And that is almost a separate subject matter from the first 80% of the book, which is the Joshua <laughs> Williamson, Gianni Milogiannis story. I read the whole thing. I did too. So did I. I thought the first part was pretty good. Like... I don't know the the red hood on uh the akira bike i think is kind of weird there, there's just so much homage to akira in this like even the explosion that's in the shape of the bat symbol looks like an overhead view of i mean Tokyo. the cover the b cover is overtly a reference yeah. to the cover of akira number one so yeah I, I totally agree i don't know why this exists. Jenga's showing me a picture. I can't quite make the, it out, the, but I'm going to look. The TV people uh-huh. are from um, Dark Knight Returns. Mm. It's Lana and the the Fox News guy. Interesting. Yeah, it it's it's weird to have that much manga influence kind of out of nowhere, like a much Akira reference. I didn't, for me, the big hard part is like, it would be better if it was just like a post-apocalyptic story in Gotham, but this is like the future state world. So we got Magistrate mm-hmm. and we got Peacekeeper 3. And it's just like, you hear, I hear those and my eyes immediately glaze over. Powering down. And now Red Hood is going to be one of the peacekeepers so we can infiltrate the society. And I'm like, those are all things that I don't care about at all. But I did like seeing a mainstream Batman book be black and white and not be a batman black and white book and i don't think it like excelled because of that but i liked i I wasn't reading this for the story like halfway through it i was like oh i don't really care about this story but i do like seeing this black and white art and have it not be kind of like kitschy like this is batman black and white so it's black and white it's just like for whatever reason they did that roman where 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 do you fall in this whole thing I dug it. I mean, I, this is my favorite Gotham future state story so far, just because of the <clears throat> the Akira homages. I mean, there's a couple pages in Red Hood is jumping his bike off off and on off a unfinished ramp or something, and there's a big for some reason there's a big neck uh, mech mecha um, 
ventriloquist Scarface. and Scarface. Yeah. And we don't know why. And it's pretty dumb, but it's pretty awesome too. Yeah. <laughs> and he's fighting that. And yeah, the only reason I read this is because actually because Tuesday you were so excited about it. Um, and the, the Akira homage. So that's why I read it. It just, yeah. Otomo doesn't do much. Like he doesn't right. make comics that often. He's done a couple things in the last handful of years and started a couple series he hasn't finished. But um, we haven't even really talked about his story in this. This is basically a bad guy just kind of talking about when you reinvent yourself, you can choose to be one thing. Or you can choose to be more than one thing. And in the end of this, it looks like Batman kind of chooses to become a bad boy or something. I don't really know. But in, the in art the, of the final the last one. Yeah, the Atoma one. Like I think the art was amazing, but I don't really necessarily know, you know, like mm-hmm. once the personality begins to split, the possibilities are endless. And this is, I think, kind of this idea of like what if Batman allowed his psyche to fray even more? But I don't feel like it yeah. was super driven home. Yeah. And I like I was mostly interested in how almost every Batman shot in there is an homage to a different era of Batman. Hmm. Um like the first page looks a whole lot like year one where he's putting the, he's talking to the mobsters. Um, the last page looks a lot like an homage to Jim Aparo to me from when Robin dies. Hmm. I thought um, they did kind yeah. of like a, I was kind of surprised because they stuck with that really standard for most of it, the, just the black shadowed face with the white around it. I thought yeah. it was really interesting that they hearkened back to primarily the Bat manga interpretation, which does that same Adam West style interpretation, which is mm-hmm. illustrating the black by making it all white and then just having a central shadow. Um, yeah, that's super cool. Which is just an interesting. Yeah. I, you know, it's I, interesting that in the manga world, that's what they continued to go back to for his character design. Right. Right. I yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, I did too. I, I don't. I didn't really know what the ending meant, but I <clears throat> I love the art in this. I love the heavy, the heavy, heavy black lines. There's that one panel of uh, the bats, the bat signal projected on billowing clouds, smoke clouds Super from the explosion. Cool. Or That's just my favorite panel in the issue. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. That panel, but it also just his architecture in general. I think that one of the things that puts Akira where it's at is because of the architecture, like the mm-hmm. landscape. So consistently these rich drawings of Neo Tokyo and he just doesn't skimp at all on architecture here. Manga is amazing for that reason. They streamlined, you know, architecture and background. So one of the reasons it's always in black and white, I, you know, I loved the Otomo thing mostly just because of it, it, it existed. I'll give the entire issue a 7.5. But That's, mostly based on the Otomo. If it were not with that, I would give it like a six. Yeah, I think I think I got to be right there with you. I I thought that the first story was solid, but not not my favorite subject matter. But the art, like the the skills were there, and same same for the second one. I like the art in in both of these more than I like the writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, Joshua. Yeah. I, yeah, I did too. I'm right there with both of you. Um, Seven point five. That sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. On the topic of pretty good on our DC exclusive podcast, Justice League, The Last <laughs> Ride, number one by Chip Zdarsky, right in a Justice League book and art by Miguel Mendonca. I'm sorry, I didn't look at that before trying to pronounce it. Um, and also in the wonderful world of series codes and comic books, this book <laughs> until three or four weeks, I mean, until today, actually, this was presented to us as a one shot. 
It was a one shot. <laughs> really? Didn't have a series code, didn't indicate oh, right. any subsequent issues. They weren't appearing in the initial order. So our even our system was able to subscribe it to people as a one shot single issue. I had to go back through today and subscribe it to what is actually a series because they're now they've announced that there's other issues to it and it is going to be a series. So while I read this, I thought it was a standalone one shot that we were going to get like some follow up on, you know, a couple months down the road as the overall continuity is moving forward. Interesting. And I have to say, yeah. And that's just mostly from having my head in the ordering system, like the, yeah. because they're still learning that stuff. Even Braden was like, you didn't sub people to that. And all like last week, and I was like, it's a one shot. He like got on. He was like, you're right. It's a one shot. And like just, just DC, just DC dropping our balls, just comic shops, not having a real firm way to streamline a bunch of the information that we require, um, which is one of the things that Django's always banging his head against a wall about because they're pretty harsh with it. But that being said, uh, this is the first issue. And what now we can say is a five or six issue miniseries, I believe. I think, yeah, it feels like six. And I actually liked this one quite a bit. It's like an angsty Justice League Fallout book. Roman, does that feel like your read? You're my Justice League man. Yeah. Um, but you mean like Fallout from something that happened in the Justice League or Fallout the video game? Nope, not the video game. I don't okay. know about that. Good, Why the fuck I... did you just reference a video game? Well, because I don't know anything about Fallout, Fallout either other than okay. it's a, a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm real... This 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 got my attention more than I expected it to. I'm really curious about why the Justice League split up. What Batman did that Superman's so pissed off about still, and they were pissed off at each other. Um, and it's just it sets things up pretty well, more better than a usual like oh future future Justice League all hate each other story. Yeah, the Green infinite crisis that starts out or if it's the thing that starts right after infinite crisis but it's like the, the you know the the trinity has broken up and they're all pissed at each other i feel like it's the beginning of infinite crisis and they're just like standing somewhere just having a very similar conversation to this where they're just sniping each other and pissed off at each other's actions and huh. i i like that dynamic a lot bendis wrote what I think is a phenomenal six issue miniseries called Avengers prime that took place right around the same time as siege, which is basically a miniseries just to have these heroes reconcile all these differences that have risen over the last several years. <laughs> Seems like kind that. of, that's, that's awesome. what this is. I, I got the feeling that this was happening outside of our normal continuity. And we may never like, we may never see that story outside of this, but also I'm completely disconnected from any continuity at this point. I sure did like that their mission is to keep Lobo safe. Yeah, I bet you did. Yeah, That's that was fucking cool. Yeah, and the fact that somehow Lobo killed the new, all the new gods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really fun. I forgot about that. This is actually one of the first two books I read this week. So this was like Wednesday or Tuesday of last week. So I'm a little yeah. foggy on it. Yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of nice little fun fun things like when hal jordan shows up he's wearing armor that's kind of reminiscent of the kingdom come armor and mm -hmm. also like of the injustice stuff a little bit too like i, I love the amount that they to totally support your point roman the amount that they don't show us but indicate there has been time past is yeah. is very very cool django um i like that take actually this idea that like maybe we won't know what happened and this is just an other world's thing i kind of got the impression that this is 
kind of an important thing that's going to be like we'll follow like we'll have some events lead into what this was over the next like six months like, this is the theory right. i created was it like we're going to lead to this event and then in six months we'll be like oh right this makes sense why this exists i would i would uh guess that that would be the case if this was indeed a one shot it is not but you're right again since it's not my guess is that we'll learn we'll learn why they're pissed at each other before the end of this series but I would, be, I would be okay if this was totally out of continuity, especially with Lobo having killed the new gods. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Yeah, you well, yeah, I'm sure it must, yeah, it's, they don't use Elseworlds terms any, anymore now, because I guess, because everything's in Elseworlds. It's the Omniverse. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm very curious. And and the fact they, Superman accuses Batman of, of getting John Jones killed, and it's like, oh, I'm glad he they brought. He straight up says, you, yeah. it was you who killed John. Yeah, well, say it was you who sent our friend to his death, oh. and, and yeah, I'm, I love the fact they brought back the idea that John, because they used to play this up a lot, like the Giffen Justice Man. League, and afterwards the Martian Manhunters thought like the heart of the Justice League, mm -hmm. and I like so that that was and the catalyst. Yeah, so the idea that somebody is responsible for killing the heart is a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, this. Um... This did it for me. It, it's angsty, you know. It's a little angsty. It's not like this is a feel-good book, but it's angsty in a good way. I'm gonna give it a niner. Yeah, what a good week of yeah. comics. Yeah, it was I a huge good week. I didn't love the art. It did yeah. its job, but I didn't think it was above and beyond any any generic DC comic. Although I did love that Lobo's mustache is clearly just a tattoo. Uh, I'm gonna give it an eight. Eight for uh, craft. Thanks, Chips the Dark Dark. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it I'll give it a nine. You're right. I hadn't noticed that about Lobo's mustache. I wasn't thrilled with the cover, Derek Robinson, but just has some weird art. Batman's yeah. fist looks really messed up, and Superman, I don't know, there's something wrong with his torso. <laughs> London. It's called muscles. London. Yeah. I would say it's like normal DC art plus one like it's yeah. just a step above it is not like house art like it's not kind of like what we get a lot of the time it's just a barely better it is a, it is a step adam up. kubert this week yeah like yeah, you guys yeah. are you guys are going up against that batman the detective this this is pretty good this isn't yeah. this is no adam kubert yeah yeah, yeah. Adam or andy this month or, or yeah, either whoever. one of them. They're both doing great work right now. Whoever between it is. Wolverine and Batman, those Cooper kids, they must have a very strong father. Mm, like like Perry a Plush kind of strong. No one's as strong as Perry Plush. Um. Okay, before we go into Hollow Number Three, which is gonna be my sort of like little round robin book, I'm excited to talk about. Yes, uh, Frankenfurter. Roman. It's five minutes. Go. No, three minutes. Changed it. Three go. minutes. I Plenty of time know, to talk about a book. I really liked Geiger number two. I, did I really too. liked. I really liked number one, but yeah, number two, and he's fighting giant radioactive ants in the desert, which you know, one of my favorite movies is them from the fifties. This is just a cool book. It's a lot of fun, and the art in this was spectacular too. Um, Roman, I mean, not to make this a buckshot, which we're not. I, I mean that oh, Geiger. I thought it was okay. No, sorry, just like single books at like three oh, minutes at a time right. here. You know, sorry for being confusing, but to talk about that book, they did such a J, like a Jeff Johns thing there, which is like, oh, we're not going to talk about the radioactive guy. We're actually going to tease that and then spend most of the issue talking about this group of people you don't know at all, 
mm-hmm. and then yeah. in a Jeff Johns way, make you care about them a lot because he does mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and then ties their narrative, which you secretly became invested in without realizing it. And they tie it to the radioactive man. And then he shows up and you're like, oh, fuck, yeah. It's all tied together. Like, and then introduces these other characters in Las Vegas. Like, it was just, I, I really believe he's one of the best, like, kind of linear, one-dimensional storytellers there is. I don't mean that as an insult. He's just so good at telling a story about people. Yeah, yeah, he is. I'm so glad that he's just focused focusing on writing comics again because they're always good. Yeah, um, I, do. I love that that guy with the handprint. Me too. On his face, so yeah, I actually kind of forgot about that guy, and when he shows up here, it's like, oh god, shocking, horrible, um, spoiled, rich, rich person. Yeah, Geiger the, was great. Yeah, and even the sequence, the suspenseful scene when the kids are attacked by the giant ants and one of the ants clamps onto the girl's head and just that sequence and the way she's saved was so well done. Totally agree. Totally agree. Do we think that the lady walking down the stairs is Lizzie Borden? That's my question. I did. I felt like there was a historical reference going on at the end of here that I didn't quite get. It does. It does Lizzie say Borden somebody's took name, an ax. Right? Yeah. And gave her mother 40 wax. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't get that. But he just be, calls her Miss Borden. It oh, okay. seems like a like a pretty heavy duty uh, name for fiction. And she she's looking like she's from an era, you know, that seems back to, to that era. Oh yeah, yeah, she's definitely from the twenties, early thirties, maybe maybe the forties. Mm-hmm. So the time frame of the whole book is also very interesting. But I love I love the sort of Vegas area that all the bad guys are hanging out in, and the rich dude hates him because he's been touched by radioactive hand on his face and. It's a character that doesn't look like you could humanize him much. He's this giant glowing skeleton and they managed to like make him feel like a real person who's got a dog and cares about his family. It's, it's just Jeff Johns killing it. Yeah. This and like, Oh, there we go. What's that? Well, what do you, what's your score for it? Papa, Papa Rutger. Ooh, you just made me Papa Rutger. <laughs> Call the hospital. Uh, I'll go to nine. Nice. Uh, and also i really was up there for me i'd give that one an eight and a half that's yeah. a good argument as well good too. stuff yeah good stuff um Foz, are you ready for this oh uh, yeah sure i'm gonzo um i'm not going to talk about snatched from scout comics even though it was interesting because Shocker. the big thing that they were trying to buy like the big drug deal sort of macguffin is a truckload of hair Ooh, gross. to make weaves out of it's like super bizarro but um i wanted to to talk about the joker number three a little bit the art is amazing again uh, i think jeff you were talking early this week about how the art is kind of on par with the number one versus the number two of the joker um, and i wasn't as down on the art in number two but the art in this one is just so good the colors on the on the first few pages which are Gordon flashing back to the killing joke. It's tricky because it's it's just redrawing the killing joke pages, but it's interesting to look at and the colors are gorgeous. And uh, the story and Gordon's way of solving this crime and like everything about it, except for the femme fatales, I think are really interesting in here. I don't care about Bane's daughter. I don't care that much about the lady that hired him. Um, and you know, the rest of it though, is, is 
really pretty awesome. And I read the backup story, which is about Punchline, but actually about Punchline's roommate, who, guess what? Also a villain. Uh-oh. Oh. Maybe the villain behind the villain. Is her name Deadline or something like that? No, it's some goth twerp who's oh. wearing like a mesh undershirt. He, actually, he looks like what I imagine you put on when you get home, Roman. Oh, I like can't. Where is he? Low-cut V-neck, mesh undershirt. He's, he's probably got some sort of perverted tattoos just <laughs> under all of his clothes. That's exactly what I'm wearing underneath this red dwarf shirt. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, that like I this... Great this artist can do like great, great stuff. And even like issue two, it wasn't bad art, but it's just like when you yeah. get fed really good ice cream and then you go and get like not good ice cream, you're like, well, this is still good ice cream, but it's not, I had that other stuff and that was very good. And I like, I also read Carmen number three today and that's maybe my favorite issue of the whole thing. The art and the, the wide angle lenses and stuff like Gu March is, is knocking it out of the park. What about the weird part? Where he's like on the airplane, he's flying, he's doing his inner monologue stuff. And he like flashes to a scene where he's on an airplane and people have died and he's on the airplane. And then it leaves that scene. Like he's on the airplane on this page where there's sharp two different airplanes. Yeah, it's totally two different airplanes. And he's also wearing a different, actually he's not wearing a different output, but yeah, the, I agree. It's two different airplanes. What is this second one? What is the scene of him being with a bunch of people? He's not with a bunch of people. That's yeah, somebody he, else. That guy doesn't have a mustache. That's the guy that's driving the school bus uh, uh, to the Joker's okay. compound later. And that makes sense. He doesn't have a mustache. He's also not wearing the black vest. But I was like reading yeah. it. And I was like, is this him? Is this a different scene? And I was like, okay, I don't really know what this scene is. So I'm just going to gloss over it and hope that it comes I, back. I think it was a, a weird choice to give that guy a giant upper lip and white hair and, and not really not really clarify that he's not Gordon. Cause I had, I had that same moment and it took me until like five pages later when I saw the guy driving that school bus full of dead mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. before I knew yeah. what was going on. Yeah. Same there thing happened, happened to me. It was a weird choice just to basically show, Oh, these guys, these two are going to the same place. Gordon is at roughly the same time. And to have him fade out on an airplane and then just show an exterior shot of an airplane and then sh shoot in on a guy who looks almost the same, yeah. but with no mustache. Yeah. Well, listen. Um, yeah, Frederick. Give a score. I can't remember what I give. A score I, I, I give this an uh, eight point five. I liked it quite a bit. I'm gonna go seven. Yeah. Yeah. I'll also go on eight point five because it was my favorite issue so far of this series. But didn't you give one like a ten? Django gave one a ten. Did I? I can't remember from episode to episode how I scored. Okay, sorry. I listened to him twice. <laughs> okay, I'll give this one a nine then. Oh, I mean, give it a <laughs> I, I ten. Know. Yeah, I don't know. I was just was gonna say. I feel like you gave like everyone was like insanely high on number one. Okay, maybe this wasn't my. I really did I, like Django. I really did love all the inner monologue of Gordon's, but. I don't care about Bane's daughter and I don't care about the woman who hired him. And, you know, I'd give it a higher score if it wasn't for those two characters that are now becoming more prominent. We need a twist on the lady that hired him. Like when yeah, we get we'll the twist get and we find out that she's, you know, uh, Sarah Essen's stepdaughter or something stupid <gasps> like that, then I'm going to like that a lot more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but her just being like a, a mysterious rich benefactor, you know, Hopefully she's not the Joker's other daughter or something. Like I that. feel like because of her dead face, she's got to be something more interesting than yeah, yeah, the like, dead face. Yeah, but at least we got new characters out of it. Yep, Jim's specialty. 
Jim's the Tinian's the first fourth first specialty. He'll make a new character. Um, you know, not nearly as cool as any of that. I I liked a book called Holler Number Three that came out this week. Django also read one. We were oh, yeah. three of this book. It is not reinventing a wheel, but it is doing a thing that I love in comics that isn't done a ton lately, which is just like real indie boy girl alt comic stuff and this reminds me a lot of little depressed boy and it's he releases it it's by jeremy massey and he writes and draws and he releases it online in several page increments of stories and this is issue number three it's the first one we've gotten in our store it showed up on the initial order i didn't remember ever seeing one and two by the time i ordered number three but the cover number one has like this stoned kid wearing a nirvana shirt with like copies of hate laying on a bed next to him and an acoustic guitar and a bunch of drawings of a girl he's in love with and it like i said looks like little depressed boy and it's just kind of stream of consciousness stories from a person who's putting these comics online um but based on my excitement for it and just like how kind of in line with my interest it is i got a hold of him because the issues one and two are all sold out everywhere that we can get and ordered uh, eight copies of issue number one and four copies of issue number two and we have these issue numbers of three they're gonna have a couple more come in but he's gonna send us a bunch of signed copies of these oh, right. um they should be here in like a week and you know i i it's it's very jeff shit so i would be i'm interested to hear Django's thoughts on it because it's everyone knows jeff loves kind of angsty emo stone boy music sad romance things i Listen, I don't want to give you a spoiler, but this book gets a 10 from me. No way, really? For this for this week, like craft-wise, this was amazing. I feel like I'm handing them out like they're lollipops and Batman, but it's <laughs> uh it's some good stuff. And I guess what I really liked about it is that it's it's autobiographical in a similar way to like American Splendor or Robert Crumb stuff, but it doesn't feel like a creepy old asshole writing it it feels like a guy just telling you about this dumb shit that he did when he was a kid and the things that they did weren't necessarily cool but they don't feel as predatory and nihilistic as what a lot of the underground guys did yeah and i just i i love the story of like they find a bunch of porn and they start putting it up around town as a joke and that just tickles me like I wouldn't do that as an adult, but I probably did that when I was, you know, 18, 19. Um, and yeah, just every, all, all the stories in here were really relatable and really well done. And the, the art is great. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of a, a, gives me the same warm feelings as, um, really good Mike Allred or, uh the guy that did um oh god fear agent um Opinion? was it opinion that did fear agent well he did a lot of it he didn't do all of it though oh tony moore did tony moore yeah opinion. just like i i really like this art style yeah it it it's uh i'll i'll, I'll bet you anything this guy is about my age i i, I bet he is and and but it like it to your point it doesn't feel like look at this cool shit i did when i was a kid it, it 
or like maybe even a little bit younger, like a little bit like between our age, where it's just sort of like I'm developing art skills and processing memories at this point. And it just feels like I really like this beginning story. It's mostly centered around living in a small town and having this large, like a, a religious store owner who sells shoes slowly make his sign that always is talking about where you can get your air jordans <laughs> slowly become more religious and accusatory and persecutory towards people who are like gay and so then his friends always go and reorganize the sign and the guy finally gave up and then the store went out of business and it's just like there's no heroes there there's no villains there you're glad the store went out of business but it's just kind of like yeah i lived in a small town like i know yeah. And then you just get like a little two pager of him talking about the different pipes that they used to smoke weed with when they were in high school. And you're like, cool, you know, like I've, fine. Yeah. Then the, the, the story about him kind of mishandling the relationship with the girl that he really liked because he was a, like a jealous teenager. And, you know, I've been there. Yeah. Well, like everybody's been there and I don't know. It's, it's just kind of a, a breath of fresh air. Because this style of storytelling, I'm used to reading from Robert Crumb or, mm-hmm. you know, American Key Splendor. Car. And it's yeah. like, here's the time that I sexually assaulted this woman. And here's where I got this weird sexual deviance. And this is the, you know, this is the horrible thing that I did another time. And I like these these stories a lot more. I love that other stuff, too. Like, it, it's it's a snapshot of a different era and a different upbringing and and different uh like a different type of honesty um and i like seeing that but i think that i want more of this yeah and and i can't speak enough to like how strangely fully formed the art is like it's i I, the art is i think even ahead of the storytelling which is still great storytelling but like it's it's like oh where'd you come from um the kid looks real, real young. Is my not a complaint at all, but I kept being like, I feel like maybe you're supposed to be like five years older than you look. But I would give this one a nine point five. I really, really liked it. I cannot wait for issues one and two to come into the store. It's called Holler H O L L E R. It's a weird dimension, which usually <laughs> bums me out because it doesn't fit bags and boards. But this one just doesn't feel like it's supposed to be in a bag and board. It doesn't feel yep. like there's the illusion that this is going to be a speculator book. There's no, it's just like, this is a cool alt book that got low distribution for issues one and two. And it's cool. He got in diamond on issue three. And I think if you're at all into, into like thinking about your teen years or music or alt stuff. I think you'd really, really like this. So holler three and one and two will be coming into the store and they'll be signed by Jeremy um, himself. So glad that you contacted him. Like I, I haven't, nice. I haven't seen you do something like that so quickly. Like one flip through the comic. You're like, I got to get a hold of this guy. It's super cool. Yeah. I, well, I had remembered looking to see if I get issues one and two after ordering three and not being able mm-hmm. to and being like, fuck, man, I really, yeah. I mean, again, you put Nirvana shirts on the cover. This was one of a couple <laughs> issues this week that had Nirvana in it. Uh, did it entertain you? It entertained me. Absolutely. Roman? Yeah, there it is now. Oh, Django? Entertaining no, we, you. We all, we all did. We all did one. The Junkie Cable, number one, Behemoth. Uh, this is interesting because Django two things one it's the most blatant i've I've never seen anybody look as much like brandon graham as this looks like brandon graham it looks so much like brandon graham i showed ashton today down like the body postures it's just the colors the blues um it's like does it's not ashamed of like being very like sexy in the way that brandon graham things are but like those body poses right there that's such a brandon graham pose um 
And Brandon Graham, I think, looks awesome and gives gives a great feeling while his books are going on. And but I also feel like I'm always kind of lost in them. I love yeah. Brandon Graham's work. This one like felt like there was a little like a little bit more to trace going on. Uh, sci-fi book from Behemoth Comics, very sexy, very alt comicy, good sci-fi world. So there's that. But then interestingly, Django, I feel like I don't know exactly the science of it, but it feels like it's what you describe as like print on demand. Oh. It's from I, Behemoth Comics. I keep ha- highlighting Behemoth Comics stuff, but it I feels believe that it feels like it. It looks. I don't know how to know exactly what I'm detecting, but it looks like there's a different quality to it that makes it feel like there's a kind of immediacy that almost feels cheaper. One thing that I notice on a lot of print-on-demand comics is that the word balloons are built out of halftone dots rather than solid black. Mm-hmm. Um, like and- there's like a little red bleeding. Yeah, like if if it's a process build on the word balloons, a lot of times that is not offset printed and it's digitally yeah, printed. Because there's a tiny bit of demand. red on the rim of some of these black letters. Yeah, yeah that, so. that would be my guess is that it was printed digitally rather than offset press. And that's just how the digital thing makes black. Yeah, and so that, anyway, just Junkie Cable by one behemoth. If you like Brandon Graham, if you like alt comics, if you like things that'll make you feel a little bit randy, that's in there. It was a big alt week. It was, it was a big, big, good week. It was a big, good week. Before we talk about any other books that you boys have, I do need to mention, um, I read half of, and I'm going to finish, Dick Fight Island Volume 1, which is a manga that came into our store this week. And I was going to finish it to talk about on this week's episode, as some of our listeners had suggested, but upon bringing it up with Roman earlier, he was like, oh shit, I'd like to read that also. So we're going to wait and this week, we're going to record a short episode of us talking about Dick Fight Island, uh, a book about a bunch of very strong sexual men who have to go to a sort of Lord of the Flies island competition thing and fight to con- have their nation become dominant. But the way that they fight is by using giant swords on their penis and the first person to have an orgasm loses. Um, so this is, a- this is the all ages episode that Will Elmer's been asking for? That's going to be an NC-17 all-adults homoerotic episode that Roman and Jeff do talking about Dick Fight Islands. So that's coming down the pipe, so to speak. But um, I wanted to let everyone know. Anybody got any other books or anything that they've got piping in? I know we've got a voicemail from my, uh, my Lord and Savior, Andrew Carlson. I mean, I would give a shout out to the other three books that I read this week. Yeah. Silver Coin number two was a pretty good like 80s slasher summer camp story. Probably, probably didn't like it as much as number one, but I, that's a hard genre to make good. And I thought that this was a good version of that genre. Ice Cream Man number 24 um, was like a a Jerry's, Jerry's kids telethon, but you were saving Jerry and no, if, if nobody gave enough money, then the, the main character would die. And he didn't know that they were doing this fundraiser for him. And uh, nobody really cared enough about him. Um, and I also read Silver City from Aftershock Press. And it was pretty freaking good. Uh, just about a lady who dies and ends up in, I don't, I don't think it's really heaven or hell. She's just in the afterlife. And all these weird kind of Sandman sort of people are hanging out. Like all, I read, I read like 18 comics this week and they were all really good. I just thought about how much I would love an Andrew Carlson's 
omni cut of Django re- reviewing Aftershock number one comics <laughs> where he says something like, and it was really good. Aftershock number one, and it was really good. <laughs> and and uh, ask me about number two, because I almost never make it <laughs> right. to a number two, like no matter how good the first one is. Really good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Silver Coin 2 was really good. I totally agree with exactly what you said. Like it, it did a great job of making 80s teens slasher movies fit in a one-shot horror anthology and then tie in this idea of a silver coin having some mystical ability and then also making you care about a character like it silver coins two issues in right now and it's it's pretty impressive that they're both very good but i agree i didn't like it quite as much as number one but still a really good good horror book tight it's tight, tight. it's tight roman anything left for you oh you're muted Roman, <laughs> I agree with what you got. I muted it because I was begging and boarding my books. Um, <laughs> That's the nerdiest comic <laughs> podcast thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I didn't mute my mic because I was begging and boarding my comics again. I love it. Um, I didn't want you guys to hear the shift. Shift. Um, I agree with what you guys said about the silver coin number two. You know, a couple things I can say Hyperion and the Imperial Guard, number one. Yeah, tell us about the heroes were born. Um, going back to what you said about humanizing Hyperion, um, this issue really did that too because it's it turns out it's uh, revisiting like late teenage Hyperion when he was learning still how to be a superhero, and he goes and hangs out with the Imperial Guard, which they were created by Dave Cockrum to be just Marvel's version of the Legion of Superheroes. So basically, this is Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, except it's Hyperion and the Imperial Guard. And he falls in love, and it's very humanizing, and there's tragedy. So it was better than I expected. And then... What did you give it? Oh, uh, I would give it... Oh, I wasn't super thrilled with the art. I would give it a seven. Ooh! Yeah, yeah. Just I think partly is because it surprised me, because I only read it just kind of obligatorily so i would know what was everything about heroes reborn man roman's (laughs) sense of obligation is so different than my sense of obligation um and the only other thing i'll say i really oh two things i enjoyed proctor valley road number three that was another solid issue with that and i really enjoyed the uh gene lewin yang story of uh the first appearance of the monkey prince a new character first dc comics and the dc festival of heroes i feel like the monkey prince is an old character it is it's what goku he, is based on that's his turns out this character that's his dad his dad is oh. goku the monkey king this is the monkey prince um oh, okay and he's he's gonna be another because of course the monkey king the monkey is mischievous so this is gonna be another mischievous hopefully goofy like ambush bug or creeper in his funny moments type of character the heckler yeah heckler maybe this is, again, this is a guy heckler stadler Ragman. so really he, funny he was always depressed <laughs> snl sketch this week about statler and waldorf who really? i've been watching a lot of the muppet show and statler really? and waldorf are hilarious they're yeah, great they, i'm just they get, surprised somebody's they get, watching snl they get i watch <laughs> snl every single week for oh, really? oh, years wow. yeah oh. <laughs> um and uh yeah they get beaten up by security because they won't stop oh. making jokes and it's pretty funny <laughs> and they they replace their muppets with ones that have black eyes underneath them because they get beaten up it's very good <laughs> google uh waldorf statler snl um sure. yeah 
that's that seems that seems about it. Dick Fight Island later on in the week. Django's great. Roman's great. Um, London is great. Fog, Foghorn Fog, Leghorn. One of the best Looney Tunes. I say, I say, I got to get up at six forty-five tomorrow to give my mom a ride to a colonoscopy. But before we get out of here, let's check in with our good friend Andrew, the Captain Fots. Fots, the other Fots. Hey guys, um, I think I've come into the shop before pre-pandemic and answered this question oh. before it was ever asked. Uh, but I figured I'd put put it out for the podcast now. Um, so Django's question was about who would we cast you guys as right. um, in like a comic book movie or something? Um, no recollection that's, of that that's an easy one. You guys are the fucking fantastic four. Oh, no. Jeff, you are Sue. Thank you're you. invisible woman. You're the heart of the team. Thanks. You keep everyone emotionally stable uh, as best as you can. Uh, Justin is Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. He's <laughs> the intellectual powerhouse of everyone. Um, Roman is the ever-loving blue-eyed thing, of course. Uh, the heart of the shop, whether anyone wants to admit it or not. We all do. <laughs> and you guys do. Uh, Django is the human torch. He's Johnny Storm. He's the hot shot. Always trying to, hey, look at me, look at me. The ladies' man. Colette uh, <laughs> is Valeria Richards. Um, younger, but brilliant child. Uh Always got something amazing to say. Doesn't always show up, but when she does, no, it's no, it's going to say something good. And Braden is Franklin. Uh, just unbound imagination and fun, love of childhood, uh, coming of age. And Ashton would probably be the Moloid head from Future Foundation. <laughs> uh, and Sage can be any one of the power pack that they want. Um, yeah, yeah. Include the future. Uh, so yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed that little little thing. I yeah. did. Thanks, thanks as always for the the weekly laughs. No, you guys are the best. Andrew, Bye. thank you. Don't go. You don't have to leave. Uh, oh, it's gone. Um, I do love that Fantastic Four analogy. That is a very good one. Um, although you know, hard, hard. I do think Ashton could almost be Franklin. Like he's there's that. Yeah. Imagine he's just the. I can see him yeah. creating worlds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Worlds. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, gosh, boys. Broman, Django, Django, Foss, Broman, Bender. Foss, Bend. Do you want to you take us it's out? It's pronounced Foss, Bend. It's pronounced Foss, Babe. Oh, God. I am so glad that uh, we didn't try to keep those British accents from last week. Wah-ah. Wah-ah. Well, listen, uh, if you like the show, review us, tell your friends, tell your family, um, tell your uncle, tell your, you know, whatever. Don't tell your kids. Come tell your kids because we're doing Dick Fight Island real soon. After the world's restarted again. You're right. Don't tell your kids we're doing Dick Fight Island. But, you know, we should have a podcast night out once the world's open back up. Podcast night out. Yeah. Yeah. Send Jeff an email, Jeff at the comicsplace.com. Uh, that's gonna, one of our favorite things, emails and voicemails. I'm going to put them in next time. Django said, don't forget to do them between books. And I forgot to do Andrew's between books. You get into a routine, ladies and gentlemen. And I just, oh, I wow. Just, yeah. You took me seriously? 
I always take you. That was seriously. just a Johnny That's Storm moment. I was just fucking with you. <laughs> just fought. You are going to stretch these these uh, things. Let's use the time and space machine to make sure each one distorts to five minutes exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. I. What else do you say? I don't, we don't know. have them call anymore. We we have them review. We have them write in. People should order holler. We're going to get those yeah. in. And yeah. I don't even know if they're on our website right now. That's a good question because I don't Number know. Number three should got... be, but I don't think. Well, yeah, the other ones probably aren't. Probably aren't. But you can send us an email at info at the Um, But holler, H O L L E R. Really cool indie book put out by mm-hmm. somebody who I don't even know. Like it just seems all totally home done. Um, really cool. Support alt comics, support people like you trying to get some art in the world. Holler. Uh, and that's Jeremy Massey. You can also go to his website, MasseyMakesComics.com. And on that note, everyone, I am the governor, obviously. Rudy the Roundhouse back kick. And I'll see, you all, I'll see you all later on this week for Dick Fight Island, Volume 1. I'm the Lord Chamberlain. And I'll also see you on that, that, that Pecker Island. Rutger the Lord Chamberlain. I am London, Ontario, the chamber mm-hmm. pot. And I was wondering. I remembered. What I was wondering. wondering. What were you? Wait, what's on your mind, London? You guys, have you ever. I want to know which comic you read that was the best written and the worst drawn. Oh. Like, what comic do you love, even though the art is super uninspiring for you? And for me, I would probably put like. Probably like the Invisibles, the volume volume one and two in the, of the okay, Invisibles, okay, okay. I think would be much more readable with with different art. It doesn't even have to be bad art, just art that doesn't fit the tone for you. Oh, that that's an important distinction. It doesn't fit the tone because my brain immediately was going through the different Brian Hitch books that I've read. I don't know like, why. Like no matter who wrote it, it would have been better with somebody else drawing it. Every time I'm like <laughs> Brian Hitch got put on a book. Like dang, like it's crazy that they this is a good book and Brian Hitch like. He's Dude, you forgot to hide that extra leg layer in your Photoshop file. Why is everyone so flat and chunky? <laughs> um, but we'll get back to that. Roman, anything jumping out, of, jumping off the page for you? No, nothing is. I'm sure there was uh, some issue of or a show a showcase or something with the creeper that that had horrible art that wasn't Ditko. Mm. Mm. Yeah. We didn't even talk about like the Ditko stuff in Rorschach. Man, I cannot wait for Rorschach to finish up and just have an episode about Rorschach. That series, I can't like where I was reading and I was like, this is phenomenal. I also can't wait for this to be done and know what this was about. Yeah. Like, it's it's and so... Re- yeah, reading it, knowing the shape. Yeah, because we don't but, even still. Okay. The shape of that comic keeps changing. Every issue is a different type of meditation on comic book creation and and storytelling kind of like Rorschach's mask. I like that. It's also weird how much like one through six kind of was a story. And then seven is where we started just going off the rails again. Like this is eight. Well, seven was the Frank Miller one. Even six was a little bit out there, but like, I feel like one through five or one through six, it was kind of like I get this. And then it was like, Oh wait, never mind. I don't get this at all. This is, I think it's classic noir pacing. I could I could believe that. Like I want to hear Tom King talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah, call yeah. him. 
Let's Fuck ask him if he made Jorge Fornes put him in that character's. I don't think that's him. Design. I don't think that looks enough like him to believe that that's him. <laughs> I was there when the statement was made, but I don't. I don't know for sure. I mean, Tom King is bald, and this guy has huge sideburns. <laughs> so maybe it's an like an, a, 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 a Tom King trying to make self actualize pre CIA regrow his hair. Yeah. All right, everybody. Oh shit! I didn't record this episode. No, I did. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. <laughs>